Last week, uh, the, the board recognized Pastor Dick and myself uh, for pastor appreciation, and, uh, and we as leadership wanted to uh, take a moment and, and recognize three important people um, that do a lot around here and, uh, and make our, our, our lives a little bit easier. Uh, they enable us to do the things that we can do. And so uh, Tom is our director of maintenance, Jared is our director of sports ministry, and Nikki is our director of children's ministries. And we, we so appreciate them. Uh, we're a team, and we're glad they're on our team. And because they're on our team, it allows Pastor Dick and myself to, uh, to do the things that, that we need to do because they're taking care of all those other responsibilities. And so we, as, as leadership here at Mount Calvary, just wanted to pause and bring them forward and, and, and just say thank you to you guys for all the hours that you put in and, and all, the, uh, all the things that, that you put up with, including Pastor Dick and myself. And, uh, and, and we just so, so appreciate all that you do here for Mount Calvary. And uh, we just wanted to recognize you. And if you see them, uh, just say thank you. Uh, th- thank you for all the things that they do. You don't know the amount of things that they do behind the scenes that enable us to do the ministry that we can. So we just wanted to say thank you. So thank you, Jared for all your effort. Thank you, Nikki, for all your effort. I know you love being up here. Uh, and uh, thank you, Tom, for all your effort. Let's give him a hand. I'm going to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Philippians. And uh, we're going to read our text and then pray this, this morning. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to start actually in chapter 1. And uh, I'll tell you why a bit later, but uh, we're going to start back at 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw, I had and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit... Any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count every other more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others." Let's pray, and we're going to look at our text this morning. Our gracious Lord and Savior, we come with hearts of praise this morning when we think of those boys and girls that made professions of faith this week. We think of also Paige Shoemaker, who also accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior this week, Father. And we, again, are just so excited whenever someone comes to Christ. And so we praise you today uh, for that, Father. We also, Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather today to sing praises to you and to lift up your name um, through testimony and through worship. 
Lord, I pray right now as we open the word of God and we turn our hearts and our attentions for a few moments this morning to what you'd have for us, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives today. Father, our prayer is that if there be one person here today who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they're not sure of an eternal home in heaven, that today might be the day of salvation for them. Father, we are excited, Lord, to see Lord Louise Marshall and Sharon Brosey here, and thank you for being with them through their uh, surgeries, and for Shirley Kern, we would continue to pray, Father, that you might minister grace. And then we think of Grace Smith and Connie Benage, Father, as they face surgery this week, that you might give them comfort and strength, and Lord, even through this time in the hospital, Lord, and and rehab and all those things, may you give them opportunities to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, and those that they come in contact with. And Father, I want to pray for Marge Myers, who this week found out now that she is fighting the battle of cancer again, and may you give her strength and encouragement, and Lord, may you just give her the help that she needs and the treatments that are to follow. For John Martin, may you continue to give him grace and thank you for opportunities that John has had to share the gospel of Christ, Father, uh, through this. Lord, I want to pray today. I want to lift up some other ministries that are in our area, Father. I think of Pastor Ashcroft at LCBC today. I think of Steve, Steve Lane. I think of Al Frank. Lord, these are men who today will stand locally here and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would use these pastors mightily. I think of this young man that I met with this week, Troy, Father Troy um, Bruin from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, who, Lord, you have laid on his heart the desire to, to plant a church like Westminster here in Mount Joy or in, in E-Town, Father, and thank you, Lord. Even the churches we have, Lord, we still have not reached uh, Lord, everyone in E-Town or Mount Joy or, or this area with the gospel. And Lord, there are room for others. And so, Lord, I pray for Troy. I pray you continue to meet his needs. And Lord, thank you for the vision of Westminster, Lord, there in Lancaster, to want to reach out into Lancaster County and to preach the word of Jesus Christ and to see people come to Christ as their Savior. So, Lord, I pray for Troy. May you continue, Father, to challenge him and, Lord, just stir his heart as he's looking forward to planting this church somewhere in Mount Joy or, or E-Town, Lord, in the next four or five months. Father, thank you for every church here in E-Town. I think of St. Paul's right down the road, Lord, who is proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. Even as I talked to someone this week from that church who shared with me about someone there coming to know Christ this week. Lord, I am so thankful that you are in, still in the business of saving souls. Lord, that you are still in the business of making disciples. Lord, may we never forget that's why we exist, to make more and better followers of Jesus Christ. Whatever ministry, whether it's our Christian school or our women's ministry or our Upward or whatever, Father, we exist for the purpose of making more and better followers of Christ. And thank you, Father, that we can partner with other churches to do this. Thank you for many of those coaches that are out on our fields and our basketball that are from many churches here in Elizabethtown and the surrounding areas to help us run upward. Lord, thank you that we are a kingdom working together 
for your purpose. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, we return back to Philippians as we continue our journey through the book today. And I have a question that I wanted to start out with you for today. And the question is very simple, and you see it there on your outline. What was Christ's most important attitude? What was Christ's most important attitude that we can possess? What is that most important attitude? When I think of Christ and I think of his earthly ministry, there are many, many attitudes that I appreciate about him. Certainly, I, I appreciate his patience, I, how he was cool under fire when he dealt with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even during his own trial. I appreciate his grace and I appreciate his compassion that you constantly saw in his ministry. But what is the most important? In fact, we could probably debate it, but it's interesting when Christ has the opportunity to share with us something about himself, to explain who he is, this is what he says. Listen from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says this, he says, I am gentle and of a humble heart. I am gentle and I am of a humble heart. The one time that Christ has an opportunity to say something about who he is and something a characteristic about himself, he talks about his gentleness and he talks about his humbleness of his heart, his humility. It can be summed up maybe in one word, unselfishness. Someone who is truly unselfish is generous with his time, with his possessions, with his talent, with his money, with everything, he is unselfish. When a husband is unselfish, he subjugates his own wants and his desires to meet the needs of his wife and family. When a mother is unselfish, she isn't irked by having to give up her agenda or plans for the sake of her children. When an athlete is unselfish, it is the team that matters, not winning the top honors personally. When a Christian is unselfish, others mean more than themselves. Pride is given no place to operate. The great song written by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Listen to these words. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but lost and poor contempt on all my pride. Great words. Great words. And let me tell you, as your pastor, and I'm sure Pastor John would say the same thing, one of the things that we struggle with all the time is selfishness. By nature, I was born a selfish person. And I still struggle with it from time to time. If it was just me in the room and you weren't around, I'd tell you the most important person on this earth is me. I'm being honest with you. I would. I still struggle with it. These are strange-sounding words, not because they're archaic, but because our society today is selfish. 
Greece said, be wise and know yourself. Rome said, be strong and discipline yourself. Religion says, be good and conform yourself. Education says, be resourceful and expand yourself. Psychology says, be confident and accept yourself. Materialism says, be possessive and please yourself. Ascetism says, be lowly and suppress yourself. Humanism says, be capable and believe in yourself. Pride says, be superior and pronounce yourself. And Christianity says, or Christ says, be unselfish and humble yourself. Paul is going to deal with this problem of pride, selfishness. Not only this week will I speak about it, but in the text next week, the pastor address it again is dealing with the same thing and so he'll again be hitting some of these same things just from a different angle but the text continue in that site so you'll be hearing this and so when you, this text in its original language is all one sentence starting from not verse 27 but chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 is in the original is all one sentence also, the other thing is, of course, in biblical times, there were no chapter divisions. So we get this feeling from reading it all, oh, we're, we're going to something different. But that's why I started back in verse 27, because there's no division. That's why he uses the word so, or in some translations, but. So he's saying, so if these things above that I've just shared with you, then these things. And we're going to see that here in just a minute. The text is interesting. There is one imperative verb in those one in that one sentence or four verses that we're going to look at. One imperative verb or command. Everything else is a subordinate clause or phrase that supports that one thought. Let me give you that one thought that everything else is built around. You find it in verse 2. We'll come back to verse 1. But Paul, again writing to the church of Philippi, makes this statement in verse 2. Complete my joy. Now, if that's not a selfish statement, what is? Come on, complete my joy. Make me happy. Make me happy. But when you look at this text and how it is written in the original, everything revolves around that. That is the one, in a sense, command, if you would, the one imperative verb and everything else around that supports it. Remember, we've talked about Paul's relationship with the Philippian church. He loved them. He had, he had planted this church, and, and we talked about, as Pastor John did, those people had come to know Christ and, and how that church was started by so many people coming to Christ, and he just loved these people. These three words, this complete my joy, this imperative mounts, might sound strangely self-centered, but it's really not. What Paul is thinking about here is he's thinking about how these people have brought him happiness. It's not a self-centered statement. He's saying that there is a rich, deep joy that goes beyond comfort it goes beyond pleasure. It goes beyond reputation or achievement. It is seeing others grow in the relationship with Christ. 
And that's really what he's saying. Listen, my joy is complete. My joy is full when you are growing, when there's unity in the church and there's oneness in the church and you are living in oneness with each other. Whoa, my joy is just overflowing. Paul's joy is really based on three things, I think. We talked the first week about the first one that I'm going to give you, and so we'd, we'd go back up there where he's talking in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul's, the thing that brought Paul joy was when the gospel was proclaimed. I was so glad to hear our church clap this morning when Jared announced that. I was so glad, church, that there was an emotion, there was a reaction this morning. Because, listen, of everything that happened this week, of everything that went on around Mount Calvary Church this week, the greatest thing that happened is when those boys and girls came to Jesus Christ. Of everything. Man, all the teaching that took place, and I am so, I thank God every day for our teaching staff and the great job that they do. people came to Christ boys and girls came to Christ and Paul said listen that's what brings me joy the second thing that brought him was when Christ will be honored in my body whether I live or die and and Pastor John preached about that last week the thing that brought joy to Paul was that the privilege he had to be able to either live for Christ or die for Christ I'm joyful in whatever state he's saying and then the third thing that brings joy is we find in verse 2 that we just read, complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The thing that brought him joy was when he saw his brothers and sisters in Christ growing in the relationship with God and growing in oneness. And so this text, this one sentence, is built around the thing that really completed his joy. What gives you joy today? I hope, I hope it's when you see people come to Christ. I hope it's the fact that you get to live or die for Christ. I hope that it's the fact that you're living in unity with brothers and sisters in Christ. Those were the things that brought Paul joy. And so he's going to give us, in a sense, as we tear this text apart and look at it, he's going to give us, in verse 1, a fourfold motivation for unity. Four different things that Paul thinks is important. Paul begins with a deliberate emotional appeal. This is a very emotional appeal that he gives to the church at Philippi. It was meant for the the church at Philippi to go to remember a sense of, I want to stir up their emotion through remembering. In a sense, taking the camcorder of your life and looking back at some things that Christ has done in your life. And so these four foundational motivations are found in verse 1. Let me read verse 1 again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection of sympathy. He lays them out there for us. And let's look at them quickly this morning. The first is simply this. The first is simply a motivation for unity is an encouragement in Christ. He says, remember your salvation. 
Remember your salvation experience. Remember when the Holy Spirit came and worked in your life. And every day, Christians, we ought to be running back. You've heard me say it. I'll say it a hundred times. The gospel wasn't just for your salvation. It's for your life. And we should be running back to the gospel every day. We should be going back to that point when we came to the cross and we cried out and said, I'm a sinner. I'm a hell-bound sinner. I need you, Lord. I'm putting my faith and trust in you alone and we got saved. You remember that day? Do you remember what it was, where you were, who the person that maybe shared Christ with you? Do you remember? Well, you ought to have joy. He said, that's the thing that as a Christian ought to bring you joy when you go back there and you remember that. And so he's trying to get them to remember. And he, I think he's telling him not just, you know, once, you should be remembering that every day, going back and revisiting your salvation. He said, if there's any encouragement in Christ, he's talking about that salvation experience, it should give you comfort and strength. And then look, then the second thing he says, if there's any comfort from love, love, the experience of Christ's love, God's love, that unconditional love that Christ, and then the Bible says, in that while we are yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. He loves us. Love that never changes no matter what. You don't know how excited I am about this love of God that never changes. Because I can tell you right now, this person standing before you does not deserve the love of God. This person standing before you, I can't understand how God can love me and that love never changes no matter what I do. His love is still the same. It's that song that we sung this morning. That what? That deep, deep love of Jesus. Listen to those words. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. It's vast. It's unmeasured. It's boundless. It's free. It's rolling as a mighty ocean in all of its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, ends the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. You get that? His love. You're wrapped, not in his righteousness, but you're wrapped in his love that never changes. And if that doesn't excite you, your exciter is dead. It is. Man, his love. There's nobody that loves you that much. Not your husband, not your wife, not your kids. But he loves you with this deep, deep love. Spread his praise from shore to shore. How his love he loveth, ever loveth, changeth, never and never, never more. How he watches o'er us, his loved ones. He died to call him his own. How for he intercedeth. He intercedes for us in heaven. When old Satan comes and he says, wow, look at that Phil Nelson. Look at what he did today. Jesus steps in and says, it's under the blood, Satan. Get out of here. You got an advocate in heaven. Woo! You got an advocate that loves you and he intercedes for you. Doesn't that do something for you? And it's free. Man, you go to pay for a stinking lawyer today for anything, it costs you an arm and a leg. You got the best lawyer there is, and it's free. It's free. Doesn't cost you a thing. Ever interceding for us. He's there, he's watching. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Love of ever love the best. It's the best love. Tis an ocean full of blessings. Tis a haven giving rest. 
whoo, I can fall in the loving arms of Jesus. You have a bad day, you want to fall someplace, fall in the loving arms of Jesus because he's there to take you in. And Paul's saying, come on, remember, remember that love. Don't forget it. Remember your salvation. Remember your love. These things ought to drive you to oneness and unity. And then he says, any participation of the Spirit, the word koinia, it is the word fellowship, fellowshipping with the Spirit. You're the dwelling place of the Spirit. And all of God's wisdom, he knew that I couldn't live this Christian life and you couldn't live this Christian life. He knew that. He knew we couldn't do it on our own. So he gave us the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to live with inside of us. And no matter where you go or what you do, the Holy Spirit is right there comforting and encouraging you and convicting you. And it says, along with the Holy Spirit living within you, you got an internal inheritance. You got spiritual gifts to use in the body of Christ. You got spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness. I couldn't do those things on my own. I can't produce love on my own. No, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit working through me to produce these things. No way can I produce those things. I'm not a patient person. I like things now. I like things done right now. I'm not patient. So when I'm not patient, you know what? I know that Dick Vaughn is in control and the Holy Spirit's not in control. I know who's sitting on the throne of my life that day. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and meekness. He's saying, listen, Philippians, remember. Listen, Mount Calvary Church, remember. you got the Holy Spirit living within you to work in you in a mighty way to produce these things. And then lastly, he says here, if there are any affections and sympathy, divine compassion and mercy that came from Christ to us should follow through us to others. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the mercifuls for those shall receive mercy. This is a tremendous emotional appeal that Paul is giving to the Philippians here. It's back, back to the graced memories of their supernatural work of Christ in their life. Can I just encourage you, church? every day to visit these things because if you you want to live in your home in unity you want to live in your church in unity this is the foundation the foundation is christ and his love and the holy spirit and sympathy and affection working through us because of this great salvation, he says, you bring me great joy as you live it out in unity one with another. And that's what he's saying. Because of this great salvation and all these things going on in your life, man, I am just joyful of what God has done and what he is doing in your life. And all of these things are working together so that we can have unity one with another. And so then he gives us then in the second part of uh, verse 2, the marks of unity. And let's look at what the marks of unity are. 
And he says there in in verse 2, being of the same mind. He's saying to think the same, to be like-minded. And certainly we ought to be like-minded in doctrine. We ought to be like-minded in justification by faith and faith alone, by Christology and the virgin birth and the, and the substitutionary death of Christ and of eternal punishment of hell and heaven and of the Trinity and of the gospel. He said these things, doctrine, should draw us together, not separate us. It really should. Doctrine should draw us together, not separate us. You know, we're not going to agree on everything, but I, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about the major points of doctrine we might never agree on the mode of baptism we might never agree or the gifts some gifts like tongues and healing are they still for today have they ceased there's been a big debate going on today if you've been following things on the internet recently between two men that pastor john and i respect very much in the last week and and i think they've both been trying to handle this graciously but they they have different views you know on cessation of tongues. You know, are tongues for today or are they not? But listen, those aren't the things that we're talking about here. We're talking about the major doctrines that we ought to be of the same mind about. And he said that ought to, that, that's one of those marks of spiritual unity. And you know, even when we can't agree, a mark of spiritual unity is that we can still come together and keep moving forward for Christ. That's the reality of it. I mean, if we got to talking in this room, we probably have some different views on some different things. You know, are we mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib, ah-mill, post-mill, whatever. We probably have some different views in this room about it. But you know what? I'm not going to break fellowship over that. I'm still of one mind that it's by faith and faith alone. That's the only way you go to heaven. And, you know, you get to the book of Galatians, and that's the only thing that Paul really hammered about, didn't he? That was the main thing. He said this, and then he says, to maintain the same love. The second thing that brings us this spiritual unity is maintain the same love. To have the same love, to love others equally. On, on a purely emotional level, having equal love for others, it's impossible. Because people aren't equally as attractive. Or we're not equally as easy to get along with. Some of us are really easy to get along with. Some of us aren't really easy to get along with. So he says, listen, you can't base this love on emotion. Agape love, it's the word agape. However, this love will not have a preference of attraction. It's based on intentional, intentional conscious choices to seek what is best for the other person. That's what he's saying. It's because of agape love. It's based on the will. It's a command. It's to have the same love, to be devoted one to another. And listen, a mark of spiritual unity and spiritual maturity is when I can love you even though I don't like you. Wow. You don't have to like me to love me. I don't have to like you to love you. You say, well, that sounds sort of crazy. No, it's not. Because you know what? Sometimes our personalities might just not mix or, you know, you might not like the way I do something. I might not like the way you do something. But you know what? I am still commanded to love you. And it's an act of the will. Not a warm, fuzzy feeling he's talking about. And he's saying, listen, this is the thing. Because, you know, sometimes you get into those theological debates and, and, and you know, you might really disagree. But the whole thing is you, you love one another. It's a desire to serve one another. Doing what's best for the others. Thinking about others first. 
And then he says to be united in spirit, being of full accord, one souled, one soul there. He, he used, this is the only place in the, used, in the New Testament where this particular word is used. It means to live in a selfish, selfless harmony with fellow believers. That's what it means, to live in selfless harmony with fellow believers. By definition, it excludes selfishness, pride, envy, jealousy, and self-love. Those things have no place when we're working on the marks of spiritual unity and spiritual maturity. And that's what he says, united in one spirit, one soul. Everyone in this room, you've heard us say it before, we're not here for ourselves. We are here for the other people in this room. God, why did, why did God give you a spiritual gift? So you could lift up yourself? No, so you could what? So you could use it to minister to others. One mind. One mind, and he comes back. This is one mind, one love, one spirit, and he comes back. It seems like it says the same thing again, one mind. Actually, it's one purpose. One purpose. One purpose is what one mind means there. So he's saying, you know, intent on being of one purpose, close to an early statement to think of one thing. And that thing is, I think, the gospel in Christ and centering our lives around him. And then he comes back here and he talks about the right and wrong means for this spiritual maturity in verses 3 and 4. Where he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so let's go through this real quick as we finish up this morning. The first one simply is this. It is the self, selfishness or rivalry. He uses the word here in this text, rivalry or selfishness. The root of every other sin is pride or me first. Satan, Adam, and Eve, there was the self-will. It's the heart of all sin. It's consuming and destructive. It's, it brings discord and divisions. It's really when I say my personal goals are what's really important. My personal goals are what's really important. Paul said there's no place in the Christian life for rivalry or selfishness or looking at yourself. And then he uses the word conceit. The word empty conceit in verse 3. Empty conceit, vainglory. This is about my personal glory. This is when I put my personal glory above you or above others. That's what conceit means. My acclaim, let me tell you about myself. Let me talk to you about me. I have known for some time that I was going to preach this message today. I shared this with Pastor John this week in the hallway. So for the last month or six weeks, I've gone through life and conversations with people, thinking about conversations with people. How much in a conversation with people do people resolve that conversation around themselves? And it's amazing. So if I've talked to you in the last month and a half, you know, don't run. But it's interesting. And it's something worse to think about. It, it was something for me to think about before I started this little 
study I did on my own, I would have to say when I entered a conversation, I entered those conversations looking for times to get things in about myself or me or my views or those things. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything against anybody. I'm saying, listen, I have the same problem too. I can revolve conversation around me and rather around others. Because what I told you at the beginning of this sermon, put me in a room by myself, I'll tell you, I'm the most important person in that room and in the world. And so, so what he's saying here is, listen, it, it, it really, it, it's arrogance, it's pride, it's being wise in your own estimations, Romans 11.25, Galatians 6.3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And then he gives us a positive. He talks about the humility of mind, the bedrock of Christian character. First, beatitude. He says we're be poor in spirit. First Peter 5, 5 and 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. And then the last one is count others more significant than yourself. More important, superior. In your marriage, in your office, in your family, in your church. How do you do this? I'll tell you how you do it. It's really easy when you see yourself for who you really are. When you see yourself for who you really are and you see yourself as the center, it's easy to put others above you and before you. And then he finishes D with the statement, look not to your interest only, but also to the interest of others. I have to tell you, when I came across this text, when I've been studying for this, I think for the first time in my life, and I always like how God gives us things, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I think when I've preached this text, I think I've preached it wrong. I do, until this week I saw, you know, it's not just about the interest of others. It is about what? There is part of this text that says what? Your interest. So what's, what's Paul saying here? He says, don't just look at your interests. So you do have interests, but look to the interests of others also. And so I, I really started to think about that. And, and what I think Paul's saying here is, listen, um, there's two sides to this coin. He said, you know, to take care of my interests. I'm to provide for my family. So it says if, it, if a man doesn't provide for his family, it's like he's an infidel. So there's that sense of providing for my families. There's that sense of working on my walk with God. There's that sense of, you know, my taking care of my body. There's that, the sense of even in Christ, when you think of Christ's life, he ate, he slept, he, he took care of himself, he prayed, he fasted, he got away by himself. So he had some what? He had some own interests that he took care of. But he said, don't become so wrapped up just in those that you don't also look on the interests of others. So there's a dual responsibility here. There's my interest that I should be in right accord with God about, but also I should be concerned about you. I should be concerned about how your walk with God is. I should be concerned about how you're doing physically. I should be concerned about how your family's doing. And that's what he's saying. Be concerned for others. Their job, their family, their needs, their ministry. Come alongside, help them. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. But a verse before that says, bear your own burden. And then it says to bear other people's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Rejoice when others re uh, rejoice and weep when others weep, it says in Romans. So, 
Paul lays it out. Selfless unity. Here's the question. If I was to ask somebody, hey, tell me about so-and-so. Would they describe or would do other people describe you as unselfish? As Christ described himself. But people say, well, you know, that person is gentle and he is humble. Or would they say, that person's all about himself. He's just full of pride. You know, if people have a hard time getting along with you, maybe you ought to look at you. Maybe you ought to look at yourself. Because it probably comes back that you're not living those characteristics of Christ, of being gentle and humble. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word. And Father, again, the prayer is this. If there's one person here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, that today might be the day of salvation. And let me just stop in the middle of this prayer and say, if you're here today and you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven, Pastor John or myself or Dr. Sheard would love to meet with you. Dan and PJ will be at the back doors at the end of the service. I'll be down front. If you're here and you say, you know, Dick, I don't know that I'm going to heaven. Let one of those guys know that at the back door. Come down front and meet me here. We'll take the word of God and show you how you can know for sure before you leave here, you're on your way to heaven. Christian, how about you? Father, help us to live lives of unselfishness. Help us to complete each other's joy by being able to look at each other and say, wow, Christ is working through them to bring souls. Christ is working through them in unity. Christ is working through them and they're growing. And that'll bring each of us joy and unity in our families and in our church. It's in the name of Christ we pray.